So, if you were here with us last week, you would have heard that we've started a new series, and it's about a four-week series that we're going through looking at spiritual gifts, Um, and Andy kicked that off last week. If you were here, it was a wonderful message, just really pointing us to the fact that God has given each and every one of us gifts. Isn't that amazing, hey, to think that you're sitting here today with gifts of your life that have been given to you, the Bible tells us in Psalm, when you were knit together in your mother's womb. Such a precious thought, that. And so when we were looking at the series and we were brainstorming it, Mark said, who wants to preach on what around spiritual gifts, you know? We, and, I, and I brought up some thoughts around roadblocks, and he said, great, Russ, you preach that. And I was like, oh, I thought it was a good idea, but... <laughs> <laughs> And then as I started preparing um, for this preach, you know, it's been a wonderful journey for me, and I trust that even tonight, just something from this message the Holy Spirit empowers in you, because when the Holy, Holy Spirit empowers stuff in us, it brings life. And so really, this is a message of life tonight, the title that I'm preaching on is Roadblocks That Hinder Us From Operating in the Gifts. And um, the Bible uses a couple of different phrases. Uh, It doesn't use roadblocks. If you go and look up in roadblocks, you're not going to find roadblocks anywhere in the Bible. But it does talk about phrases like quenching the Spirit. And it does talk about phrases like grieving the Holy Spirit. And so those things are often things that are roadblocks in our lives. And I want to just start off by reading the two anchor scriptures that we're going to look at tonight. And so if you've got a Bible you want to turn with me, otherwise it will be up on the screen. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. And it says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not allow roadblocks (laughs) to the purposes and the power of God in your life. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And the second scripture that we're going to look at is Ephesians 4, verse 29 to 32. And that one says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Two amazing scriptures. They should be two challenging scriptures for us. If you read these through and you're not challenged, I tell you what, read them through again. (laughs) Because when I started preparing this preach, they started to challenge me, and the immediate thing that I wanted to do was just go to each one of those things. And when I was preparing the preach, I thought maybe I should just go to each one of those things. Talks about anger, talks about clamor, and and just have a look at those and try, because those are roadblocks. But then as I was looking at them, I started thinking, well, how many of them are there? 
Because these are not only the scriptures that talk about things that hinder us from intimacy with God. These are not only the things in the Bible that it talks about that hinder us from being uh, effective for God. And so I started to look at some of those roadblocks, and here were just some of them. Disobedience, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, being unkind, hard-hearted, unforgiving, despising prophecy, lying, stealing, unwholesome talk, brawling, plotting, contriving, objecting to the truth, giving opportunity to the devil, falsehood, deceitful desires, sensuality, greed, and that's just some of them. So when I thought of them, I thought, you know, how do we become a people that don't look for these? Because the danger here is we can read down a list like this, and we can go, you know what? I'm good to go. Or we can look down that list and go, I'm so not good to go that I'm absolutely useless in the kingdom of God. And neither of those, I want to tell you, folk, today is God's heart for us. You see, if we merely gain knowledge of the roadblocks to operating in the gifts of God, but it's outside of the revelation of the foundations of truth upon which the spiritual gifts are built, it will potentially lead us to arrive at either a place of pride or a place of condemnation. And I want to make this statement. Knowledge of truth without embracing the foundation of truth on which that knowledge is built can be dangerous. I'm going to say it again. It's a bit of a wordy one, but I'll explain it. Knowledge of truth without embracing the foundation of truth on which that knowledge is built can be dangerous. So here's an example. This is a backpack. This is actually my son's school backpack, by the way. But I'm going to put it on. And here's some truth. Here's some knowledge which is true. Parachutes are contained in backpacks. Correct? That's truth. However, the foundation of truth on which that knowledge is built is this. Not all backpacks contain a parachute. <laughs> so if I were to decide to take up sky jumping and I put this backpack on, knowing that parachutes are contained in backpacks, but I never entered into understanding the foundation of truth about parachutes, that not all backpacks contain parachutes, if I jumped out of the plane with this, it would be me jumping to a conclusion. Okay. <laughs> In more ways than one. It's not good enough just to have the knowledge I need to know the foundation of truth. Here's another example. The knowledge that vehicle doors are used to exit a vehicle safely is true. That's good knowledge to know. However, the foundational truth on which that knowledge is built upon is this. The vehicle needs to be stationary to use a door to exit it safely. 
right? That's the foundation of truth around the doors of vehicles. And similarly, when we're looking at things of a spiritual nature, church, I felt God so much convict me that, you know, it's not about just the knowledge because we can get so caught up with knowledge but not understand the foundations of truth. It's like when a person whose sole job is to check for counterfeit money, they will look at not counterfeit notes to try and determine how to find out what's counterfeit. They will study intently the real note because the real note holds the foundations of truth that prove that that is not counterfeit. So they will look at it and they will feel it and they will get an understanding of the foundation of truth of that note of how thick the paper is, what feels like, the serial number ranges, the watermark, all of those things are foundations of truth in that note so that when they encounter a counterfeit, they immediately know it's counterfeit because they've become so familiar with the foundations of truth of that note. Does it make sense? I felt God say in preparation for this preach, if we see Jesus, now listen to foundations of truth here, if we see Jesus, the giver of the gifts, if we see the foundational truths of Jesus in the nature of the gifts God gives us, we will have an ability to identify and put off the roadblocks that hinder us from using those gifts. Does that make sense? So rather than just looking at roadblocks tonight, rather than just going through a list and going, okay, anger, how do we stop being angry? Okay, these things are knowledge-based outside of the foundations of truth. I felt like God say, let's focus. Focus on the foundational truths of the spiritual gifts so that out of that we can have a platform. That's the thing about a foundation, right? It's safe, it's secure, it's immovable. Off of that basis, we will be able to determine the things that need to change in our lives to be able to be used in these giftings that God gives us. So the first foundation of truth, I'm just going to look at three tonight. First foundation of truth I want to look at is this. The gifts of the Spirit of God are in line with the very nature and the qualities and the attributes of God. Now you may say, yeah, that's common sense. Spirit of God, His nature. But folk, we forget this. When we're looking at the roadblocks that hinder our lives from fulfilling the destiny God has with us as He gives us these gifts to use, not only for our abilities or our purposes, but more importantly for His purpose, we forget these things. And so what's important about the nature of God when we look at these gifts? Well, here it is. The nature of God is a giving nature. Everything about God and His nature is to give. Just think, John 3 verse 16, the scripture we, so, we know so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 verse 1, He says, And He called the twelve disciples to Himself, and He gave them power and authority over all demons and diseases. Acts 11 verse 17, if then God gave the same gift, talking about the Holy Spirit, to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And then Andy brought it into our 
right into our sight last week so clearly from this 1 Corinthians 12 passage that God gives us gifts, right? Gives us gifts so that we can use those gifts to fulfill his purposes. It's a giving nature. Our God has a giving nature. And anything that's going to therefore stand in the way of the release of that nature will be of the opposite. And when we look at the nature of the things that grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, church, they're of a taking nature. So rather than look at individual things, and, but I will look at a couple here, but rather than look at individual things, how do we test in our lives, God, are these things becoming roadblocks to me fulfilling your purposes through the spiritual gifts you give me? Well, start asking the question, foundation number truth, is this thing that's in my life of a giving nature or of a taking nature? Bitterness takes the peace out of our hearts, takes the joy out of our walk with Christ, and takes our focus off Jesus and puts it onto others and ourselves. Slander takes the dignity from a person, takes the glory at another's expense. Anger takes control of a situation at the expense of, an, of, of the other person's physical or emotional state. Greed, it takes our ability to bless and be generous and places us in a position of dependence on finances and stuff rather than dependence on Christ. Do you see how this works? Ephesians 4, verse 21 to 24 says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, and here it says, to put off your old self, and our old self, church, is a taking self. The Bible says we were born in sin. Now, when we come to Christ, this is this, and please hear the overriding thing of this preach tonight. This is not about identity. If you have been reborn in Jesus Christ, you are a son and daughter of the King. But we are on a journey. The Bible says walk by faith. The Bible says walk in the Spirit. And the reason is because we have a destination. We haven't arrived yet. <laughs> True? So there's still things within my nature that are taking things. And God is saying, man, I want to change that around. I want to turn that around in you so that you can be of the nature that my I am. Put off the old self, which is the taking nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. <laughs> right? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And it's not rocket science how we do that, but Satan tries to bar us from understanding the foundations of truth. You see, that word quench, if you look it up in a dictionary, it'll tell you it means extinguish. And it's related to a fire. And if you ask any fireman and you say, listen, how do you make a fire bigger? He's going to say, one of three things, or all three, will make a fire bigger. First of all, you give it more fuel. Secondly, you give it more heat. And the third thing, you give it more oxygen. If you give a fire any of those three things, it's going to get bigger. But the reverse is true. If you take away the fuel, the fire is going to die. If you take away the heat source, the fire is going to die. If you take away the oxygen the fire is going to die. And church, that's 
the point of this first foundation of truth is that as we become a giver in God and as we test the things in our lives, not navel-gazing, not condemnation, None of of that, but as we test the things, as the Spirit of God empowers us, because what happens is, we know this, once the Spirit of God came to live in us, we have the incredible privilege, and church is an awesome privilege, that God speaks to us. God says His witness, His Spirit testifies with my spirit. So I get to hear the voice of God, and sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I don't want to hear the voice of God. Because sometimes it's easier to take than to give. And Christ says, no, allow me to transform you into more of my image. Allow me to give you the ability to give, but you walk by faith. You walk into that. Point of conclusion for this first foundation of truth. Anything that stands in opposition to the giving nature of God in our lives will be a roadblock to us operating in the spiritual gifts. Second foundation of truth I want to look at tonight. The gifts of the Spirit are enabled by the leading of the Spirit and in line with the fruits of the Spirit. So two things I want to look at in this one foundational truth. The leading of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 22, just remind you what the fruits of the Spirit says or or are about. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The couple of verses just before that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says this, but I say, and here comes this phrase again, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So, and then it goes on to list the fruits of the Spirit. So walk by love. Walk by joy. Walk by peace. Really, walk by the Spirit. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's an example, and it's it's a bit of a silly example, but sometimes it's good to just... Remind how sometimes we can get locked into patterns in our lives that are so simple, but yet we get locked into confused thinking, (laughs) right? If I have an apple tree, if I have an orange tree in my garden, and I go and pick a basket of oranges, I can't go to Carter and say, Carter, here's a basket full of apples, Because the tree and the fruit of the tree determines the gift I can give. (laughs) Does it make sense? It doesn't matter if I say the apples, they're not apples. Because they came from that tree. And so when you think of that, we need to ask ourselves a a couple of questions. Are we desiring to operate in the gifts of the Spirit out of the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit? It's a really important question, because if I am coming with this gift that God has endowed and given me by the power of His Holy Spirit, it's not my gift, it's His, and I'm coming, what is my heart, where is my heart situated? Is it in line with the fruit that I'm bringing? 
Because <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is wrapped up in the gift, church. Love, joy, peace, all of these things are found in the spiritual gifts God gives us. It's an amazing thought. Second question, do I desire to be led by the Spirit? If so, then I need to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit, I need the fruit of the Spirit. Can you see there's a progression here? God, I want to be led. He says, great, I'm glad you want to be led. You must walk. Means I have to be saying, okay, I need to change. I need to become more like you. I walk. Yes, Lord, I walk. But how do I walk? In the fruits of the Spirit. I'm sure if at this moment I went around this room and we were all honest, I would say to you, I would wonder how many of us would have just disqualified yourself in the hearing of what I've just said because you've gone, hmm, Russell, you don't know me. I know me. And I know how much of the fruits or how little of the fruits of the Spirit are evidenced. And I know that when I look at my life, church, there's sometimes where I know that I have to say, God, help me, because the fruits of the Spirit are not so evident. And so we can start to condemn ourselves and disqualify ourselves and go, okay, wow, maybe I should just give up on being used by God through my spiritual giftings. But weakness, church, remember this is a journey God has on us on. When your child was born, if you have, are married and you have a child I remember when my child was born, he was weak, right? There was a journey to him becoming stronger. Now I don't even want to wrestle with Darren anymore because I think he'll probably take me down, <laughs> right? Because he's been, on a growth, he's been on a growth walk, a journey. And our spiritual journey is the same. There's weakness in us as long as we say, Holy Spirit, help me identify these weaknesses. Weakness, I want to say emphatically, is not a roadblock to being used by God with his spiritual gifts. It's not. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. We don't have time to read that, but it's the, it's the passage that talks about Paul having a thorn in his flesh, right? What? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> but if you recount the story, or if you know, Paul had a thorn in his flesh, Okay, we don't know what it was actually, but we understand that it was, in essence, uh, it was a weakness for him. But it gives us an incredible understanding of how God sees weaknesses in our lives and why they're there. And it says this, Paul mentions four purposes for this weakness in, his, in this passage. It says this, to keep me from becoming conceited, verse 7. Second thing, Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Verse 9, third thing he mentions, he says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 9, and then verse 10, he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. So here are four things that God wants to highlight as we journey along these things, and actually, as we walk through those processes of, these, of identifying these things, God says, man, I have purpose in it but it's not to disqualify you. A couple of hugely important statements I just want to talk about at this stage that are anchors of the foundation of this truth, church, is this. And let's just get back to the gifts because this is what we're talking about. The gifts of the Spirit 
are administered by the Spirit. They're not administered by Russell or by you. Okay? Let's clear that up. Take the pressure off yourself. Secondly, it's not about my abilities. It's about his ability at work in me. (laughs) Take the pressure off. Third thing, seeing that the gifts of the Spirit are in line with the fruits of the Spirit, that should cause us not to disqualify ourselves, but to give us a greater desire to be led by His Spirit. I tell you, every time I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to operate in a gift or whatever I feel like God is saying to me at that time, maybe it's a word to speak over somebody, I tell you what, there's a reverence and an awe that should come over us, church, that actually... This is a moment where God is wanting to use me to declare or to do what he wants to do. That's amazing. The God of the universe wants to use us. Isn't that amazing, church? We should all be going, woo! There we go. Woo! (laughs) There were no men voices there. (laughs) But really it is. It's awesome. Awesome. But we don't disqualify ourselves, but it does put in me a greater desire to say, God, I need to know that you're leading me with this. And that's not a bad thing. That's good. Because God desires to lead us. It says he will lead us by his Spirit if we walk in his Spirit. So the fruits of the Spirit, and here's the thing, which should set us free. Because remember when I started this Foundation of truth, you could have gone into this thing and gone, oh, I'm so disqualified because maybe sometimes I don't operate in the fruits of the Spirit. I remember the one example a preacher once gave where he said, you know, there's this, uh, when we come to Christ, it's like the Bible says, take off your old man, some translations talk about, or your old self. And he says, you know what we do? Christ takes off that old self and we go, hold on, and we grab the body and we stuff it in a coffin. You know, we close the coffin up. We don't nail it down, but we close the coffin up. We tie a string around, and we put it over our shoulders, and we walk around. And then we're going down the road one day, and a car cuts in front of us, you know? And, and we're like, oh, and we just go, buddy, there's someone I want you to meet. And we go up to the coffin, and we open up the coffin, and we say, get him, get him. It's like, ha, like this, Right? We do that. We do that. We're not called to carry around the old man. We're called to see that we no longer are the old man. But we're on a journey, right? So the fruits of the Spirit are all about the Spirit's leadership and lordship in our lives. That's the core. It's not about, ooh, do I disqualify myself or whatever? No. Am I saying, God, I want more of your fruits of your Spirit? Because in the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit is the fact that I'm allowing you to lead me and I'm allowing you to be Lord. The fruits of the Spirit are a litmus test for whether there is a growing and deepening dependency on God or not in our lives. That should challenge us. Do the test, not as a navel-gazing thing, but say, God, is there deepening and growing dependency that I have on you? Because if you do, there's going to be evidence in you as you grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Point of conclusion here 
for this point, a lack of desire to be led by the Spirit and to grow in the fruits of the Spirit in our lives will be a roadblock to us operating in the spiritual gifts. Third foundation of truth. The ultimate aim of the gifts of the Spirit is to bring glory to God. (laughs) Foundational truth, church. A foundational truth which has got lost in this era of tele-evangelists, of other people. And I'm not judging because there's been times where I've had to check my heart. But 1 Peter 4 verse 10 and 11 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, and here it is, in order that in everything, can you say that with me? Everything. (laughs) Draw it out. Everything. (laughs) But in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Doesn't leave room for us to make up some other thing or some other idea there, in everything. Romans 11 verse 36 says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. (laughs) It's about Jesus, church. The spiritual gifts are about bringing glory to God. So here, I'm going to give you some thought-provoking statements this morning, this evening. The ultimate aim of the gifts is not the outworking of the gift. The ultimate aim of the gift of prophecy is not to prophesy. That is part of the gift, but the ultimate aim of that gift is to bring glory to God. The ultimate aim of the gift of healing is not to heal. The ultimate aim of the gift of encouragement is not to encourage. The ultimate aim of the gift of words of knowledge is not to bring knowledge. The ultimate aim of the gift of discernment of spirits is not to discern spirits. It's to bring glory to God. Isn't that an amazing thought? You know why it's so amazing? Well, here's the thing. We don't determine our gifts. True? We don't get to determine the outcome of you using your gift but we do get to determine who gets the glory. And that's the reason why we need to stop focusing on the outcomes of using the gifts. Church, we get so bogged down thinking, man, what happens if I pray for somebody to get healed and they don't get healed? I'm going to look so silly. Well, you see, what's at the core of that is arrogance. (laughs) Oops. It's true. At the core of that is my, what was the word? Not integrity. Glenn was saying to me this morning, there's a better better word than that. Reputation. Right? And why? Because we're feeling that the ultimate aim of the gift of healing is to heal And somehow I take that as ownership that I'm in control of that. Church, we are not. 
You see, I've called, I'm called to be obedient to God and allow God to get on with his business, which is actually the outcome of the gift. And then the responsibility falls on me to bring glory to him, irrespective of the outcome. It's such a freeing place, church. I hope that you feel free in this this morning. Hope that when God says to you in future and he's given you a gift and you know that you have a gift of prophecy or you have a gift of, of healing or even if you're stepping out in faith because you see the gifts are all about us exercising our faith, trusting God and maybe a certain circumstance you will go into and you know the Spirit is saying, man, pray for this man. He has uh, something wrong with his leg. Put aside the thoughts of what happens if nothing happens. Well, it's not the point. The point is I can come with confidence knowing that God is a healer. Amen? It's in his nature. He's a giving God. Amen? We've just discovered that. I can come with confidence going his nature, foundation of truth around the spiritual gifts. He's a giving God. He's a giving nature. He has a giving nature. I'm going to bring that which he has given me, at this moment, a compassion for this man, a desire to see God heal him, I'm going to bring that. And as I pray for him, I'm going to allow God to do what he only can do because I cannot heal no matter how many times I try, church. And neither can you. Only God has the power to do that. So I can come and I can pray and I can go, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, your your heart is to see this man healed. Father, heal him in Jesus' name. And we step back and, and we give glory to the king no matter what the outcome is. That's what my heart should be, church. Point of conclusion around this point, allowing anything to get the glory for the gifts God gives us other than God himself will be a roadblock to operating in the gifts. So here's my conclusion. When you look at that scripture in Ephesus, in Ephesians, Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, this church, very small church comparative to the size of Ephesus. Ephesus was a huge, major, major city at that time in Asia Minor. Huge, major city. The famous Silk Road that we often see movies written about, right? The Silk Road ended in Ephesus. That was where all the good stuff came to. <laughs> it was one of the major harbor cities of the known, then known world at that time. It was also one of the seven, a city that held one of the seven wonders of the world, which was the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. People would come from all over to come and worship this deity, this Diana. The history books tell us that she arrived supposedly from a meteorite falling from the sky. And that's all she did. She fell. <laughs> the contrary, remember we're talking about counterfeit and the real? Jesus comes from heaven to earth. And he fulfills a purpose that is greater than just a self-fulfilling purpose. He dies and he rises again. <laughs> He's not left behind. He rises again in all power and authority. But here we see Diana ruling in one sense, the city of Ephesus. People are hungry for power. The power that they see is evident, false power is evident, as people have intimate relationships with these priests and these priestesses 
of this hideous temple, and it's in this midst that Paul is writing to this church, and he's basically saying, people, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Spirit. And I don't believe he was just being harsh there. I believe he was saying, remove the roadblocks from your lives so that the world's eyes will be opened to you and to the truth that Jesus is the authentic. That's what he was, I believe, admonishing them to do. You see, when we remove the roadblocks, people start to see authenticity, church. When people see the gifts operating out of a place of Jesus as Lord, Jesus leading, me not concerned about myself, but understanding that God has a mission and we start to live that out, people will see authentic power and they will see the authentic king. We living in a city and maybe we look and we compare it to Ephesus. It's nothing like Ephesus. But I'll tell you what, all around our cities are wonders of the world, <laughs> dedicated temples that are dedicated to unauthentic power. <laughs> I don't know what the reverse of authentic is, but to false power. God is calling us, church, to say, wake up just to this beautiful place that I've brought you into, a relationship with me where I'm leading you by the Spirit as you walk with me in the fruits of the Spirit and you learn the nature that I am, a giving nature. And as the world sees that, they will see the authenticity of me, of Jesus. So let us ask ourselves these questions. And I'm just, or these, I'm going to make three comments really in closing off the back of these three foundations. And I believe this is a call over our lives, church. It's not, remember what I started off by saying, this is not about your stand in Christ. Do you know that no matter where we are in Christ, even before I was born again, the Bible says, he loved me. So if you are standing here and you are seated or seated here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, he loves you. He loves you. You can't do anything. You can't do any of this stuff to make him love you more. He loves you the way you are. If you're born again today, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he loves you. <laughs> you have the status today of a son and a daughter of the Most High King, even if you don't get any of this right. But this is about a call over our lives to be effective for the purposes of the kingdom and to say, God, don't let me hold back from that which you've gifted over my life because that which God has gifted over your life, now listen to this, that which God has gifted over your life, no one else can bring but you. The gift over my life, no one else can bring but me. So if I don't operate in my gift or you don't operate in your gift, there's something missing. <laughs> really? Really? So this is the thing. If there are things in our lives that don't line up with the giving nature of God, let's not just accept those. Let's not make those our own. We were bought with a price. We are loved, but let us not abuse the grace in our lives. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace and set aside those selfish, self-centered, taking attitudes, actions, and thoughts so that they don't become roadblocks 
to us operating in the spiritual gifts God has given us. Second thing, if we have waned in our desire to be led by the Spirit, our hearing has become dull to the tugs of the Spirit in our lives. If the desire to grow in the fruits of the Spirit has worn off, unlike the time when we first came to Jesus, when we were so passionate about being Father pleasers and so desperate to soak in His presence, let's not condemn ourselves. Jesus doesn't. Let's just reinvite Him to lead us and recommit to walking in the Spirit as a lifestyle, not a legal requirement. And then the third thing, if we have gotten caught up in the moment and felt it's all about my abilities and my giftings, if pride has either motivated us to use our gifts or false humility or self-centeredness has inhibited us from stepping out in faith with regard to using the gifts God has given us, let's simply remove this roadblock from impeding the effectiveness of the gifts and the gospel in and through our lives. Let us repent and turn from being glory stealers to glory givers. Hey, let's be a people that, as 1 Peter 4 verse 11 says, see to it that in everything, everything, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.